Hello everyone, welcome to A Millennial Learns. Thank you all so much for joining me today and tuning in. Today we're going over Pikes Peak and the history of Pikes Peak, what to do there, what it's like, specifically going up on the Cog Railway train because I will, I know right now, I will never hike Pikes Peak. It takes like six to eight hours usually to hike up there. So that is just something that does not interest me. But I do want to go over some of the like technical logistics about the hiking versus the railroad, the history of the mountain, why it's named what it's named, because it's been through quite an iteration of names. Um, and the whole history and and just everything about it is so fascinating to me. Um, and I recently just did it this last weekend. One of my friends was going to go with her husband. Sadly, he could not go, um, but I lucked out because she then just um, offered for me to go with her, which I absolutely loved. It was so fun. So that's why I was inspired to actually research it this week, because as you're going up the Cog Railway, they actually give you a lot of history lessons and like they really walk you through some of the landmarks, but also some of the historical events that have happened on the mountain. And so it really makes it kind of a cool interactive thing. And so I was like, you know what, I need to translate this into a podcast because I feel like I learned so much on the railway and then also researching some afterwards that was just fascinating to me. So that is why I'm researching it. Now, I would highly recommend anyone to go on the Cog Railway train with an important caveat of make sure you're in Colorado and you've acclimated to the Colorado altitude for quite a while because even my friend Sam and I, we are both like, we've both lived in Colorado for most of our lives. And there is just, it still feels weird going up 7,000 feet in elevation gain like that quickly. And so even we were feeling a little bit lightheaded, like we had to eat and drink some water. And so it was not just like all completely smooth sailing. Um, people from sea level definitely felt it more and got a little bit altitude sick, some of them. And so just take it slow and make sure you're acclimated to Colorado altitudes before you go up to Pikes Peak. So that is my one pointer, but it was very, very fun. I highly recommend it. I'll go into all of that, what to expect at the top and on the way up, and let's get into it. We're going over the history of Pikes Peak. So first things first, let's get into a little bit about kind of my experience with the Cog Railway, what happened during the train ride up. I touched on it a little bit. And honestly, this is the second time I've recorded this or the third time I've recorded this intro. So I forget what I said um, before. But so I took the Cog Railway. Like I said, I will never be hiking Pikes Peak. I really don't like hiking 14ers. And this one is one of the harder ones in Colorado, from what I understand, just because of the length. Like I've heard that the trail isn't actually very technical or complex. Like you don't need to rock climb or do anything super technical. It's just the length. The fact that it takes like eight to 10 hours or six to eight hours, you know, depending on estimates, I've heard either one, but that is just so long to be hiking. So it's not the easiest um, trail just because of the sheer length. But I tried to go on the Cog Railway about five years ago, and I think somewhere around five years ago, 
And I couldn't get to the top because there was so much snow in the path that they could plow up to a certain point, but there wasn't, um, you know, there was just too much snow to get through. So we went up like, I think three quarters of the way or maybe just over half of the way. We got out and hung out a little bit and then came down. So it was a little bit anticlimactic, to be honest, but it was just, you know, it was still fun. We still got to see like a decent amount of views and sights and things, but it just, you know, it's obviously better to get to the top. So this time this weekend, we did get to the top and the Cog Railroad has been closed for the last three years, which we'll get into in the history, but um, it was closed for the last three years for renovations and they have done a great job. There's like a visitor center at the top with food and hot chocolate and a gift shop, restrooms, all that kind of thing. It's really, really nice amazing views that you can just go and soak it up. So you ride up the train. It's about an hour or an hour and 15 minutes to get up the uh, up the mountain on the railroad. So much, much better and easier than the eight hour hike it takes. Um, it gets going up to 28 degree slopes, like up to 28 degree grades. And the reason they can do that is because of this cog railway system. So instead of like a normal train where there's just two rails, there are those two guiding rails also, but there's also a middle rail that has these like tooth-like spikes and there's gears underneath the train that interlock into those uh, spikes essentially, or those teeth in the rails. And that's what helps it to get and bring us up the very steep parts of the route. So this is, there's not that many cog railways in the world. I think he said there were like four or five, the longest one and most steep one being in Switzerland. I think, well, I know it's the steepest in Switzerland. They said that those get up to about 48 degree slopes in Switzerland, which is pretty crazy if you really think of what 48 degrees is. Um, but this is also one of the most famous cog railways in the world and definitely in America. So, like I was saying, um, there's these big, kind of pretty steep slants, and you're gaining about 7,800 feet in elevation gain from the bottom to the top. So, it's pretty quick for that much elevation gain. Like, I live at, well, I live in Colorado, so like are near the Denver area, and as you may know, that's called the Mile High City, so we're anywhere from like 5,000 to possibly 7,000, I think was, you know, in Conifer, my husband's old house was like 7,000 feet or 9,000 feet, something like that. But even from like 5,000 or 7,000 feet to 14,000 feet, which is the top of Pikes Peak, is a really steep elevation gain in a pretty short amount of time. Like to go up that much in an hour, you can still get really disoriented and stuff and have some altitude sickness. And it was funny, like I got off the top and I was like, okay, I kind of feel some altitude, you know, I just feel a little bit different. Like my head kind of feels like it's in a bubble and I just feel a little odd. And then we were going to get food and my friend was like totally fine. But at one point she turned her head too quickly and was like, oh yeah, I feel it now. <laughs> so, um, it is just very weird. The the feel, the feeling of being up at that altitude is very weird. And we eventually got used to it. And I think, you know, if you're already living at a higher altitude, you get used to it quicker. That would make sense to me. Um, but it's still, yeah, you can still definitely feel off 
um, going up that altitude. So the other thing that was funny about the cog railway is they made such a big deal that you cannot pee like anywhere on board that it was going to be an hour and 15 minutes till you're going to be able to pee. There's really no negotiating that at all. Like you just can't pee. Um, so naturally that would make you not want to drink much water. But then they also talked about how you must drink a lot of water because that's going to be one of the best ways to like stave off any um, altitude poisoning or like altitude sick altitude poisoning. I don't think that's a thing. Altitude sickness. One of the best ways to not have that is to by staying hydrated. And so they're basically saying to chug water, but that you won't be able to pee until you're up at the top, which I could tell was stressing out a decent amount of people like an hour of not being able to access a bathroom because he he mentioned it like 20 times there was just reiterated over and over and over that you could not go to the bathroom halfway up the mountain and it was going to take an hour and a half but also to drink water and me and sam were just laughing because it's like okay we should have a stop halfway up if there's this big of a deal about you need to chug water but you can't go to the restroom um it ended up i don't think it's actually an hour and 15 minutes i think that's like the worst case scenario estimate if we have to go slow for like animals or snow or things like that but we had a perfect perfect weather and it was probably i would say closer to 50 minutes to an hour rather than an hour 15. so not too bad and then you get 45 minutes to hang around at the top of the mountain look at all the views get pictures get food all of that before you come back down that was another thing he was like you have to be here at 12 o'clock or else the doors are going to close and you will not be able to be brought back down you're going to be hiking your way down if like if you come back to the train at 1201 we will be gone and you will not be let back in you have to be back on at 12. and i was like there's no way that they would do that like that someone would come in at 1201 and they would be left behind but he sounded really serious about it well turns out at 12 o'clock he's like okay let's get the hikers on because and i'll get into this how the logistics work here but some hikers like they'll hike up six to eight hours or eight to ten hours whatever and then they'll arrange for the train to ride the train back down and so um he was saying like yeah at 12 like if you'll be stranded up here basically he, he basically just said you're gonna be stranded if you're at 1201 so but at 12 he goes okay let's get the hiker like if you're a hiker come form a line and i'll talk to you so he didn't even end up leaving till 1210 because he just started the process of getting with the hikers at 12. so i don't know he, the guy the conductor was a bit dramatic on ours but i guess that's to get people moving to make sure everyone's in um or else it could be even later so um, it was just really funny how much he emphasized all of those things. He was like very, very strict. Um, the other a little bit bummer on there was that we had to wear masks the whole time because it's considered public transportation. And so because of the federal mandate, you have to wear a mask on the train. So he was like very strict about that. He was like pointing out people at the very back of the train and going on the intercom like, hey, keep your mask on. Um, you also couldn't walk in the alleyways. So we were in, there's like a three, a side with three seats and there's a side with two seats. A lot of the big views at the end happened on the three seat side and we were sitting on the two seat side. So you either have to stand up, which is fine. Um, but the natural thing is to kind of like peek into the aisle or like step into the aisle a little bit to peek 
and that was strictly not allowed and he was very very adamant that no one stepped into the aisle because of how huge a safety concern it is and you know he's doing his job but it was just a little bit like everything was a bit strict from what i remember from last time but it was still fun and i would definitely do it again now let's get into a little bit of the hiking because um again like i will never experience the hiking but a lot of people like to hike it up and hike all the 14ers of colorado it's like a big thing here so let's go over some of the stats of the trail so the trail the most common route up the mountain is called bar trail it's a 13 mile hike again 7800 feet of elevation gain and it takes six to eight hours usually to hike the summit now we started i mean our train uh left the station from the top so it our return trip started at noon and we get, had hikers that joined our train and came back down with us this is pretty common from what i know like any 14er that i've heard of uh, people hiking or the one that i've hiked you start really really early in the morning so that you can get down by the time any weather comes because weather like snowstorms or rainstorms or any sort of bad weather usually comes at like 2 or 3 p.m. and so people want to come down early and start their day really early but noon finishing that at noon seems absolutely crazy especially because the sun doesn't come up till like 7 and then and then they're coming down at noon so they did it really fast well turns out later um, the conductor said that the hikers that had joined had summited in less or no, just over four hours. So they were like racing up this mountain. They must have been so fit and done it a bunch of times because, yeah, they summited in just over four hours, which is very, very impressive. And they were back down for lunch at like 1 p.m. So I just thought that was crazy. Um, so, yeah, again, lots of people hike and take. Uh, hike up and take the ride back down so I guess the afternoon train ride is probably going to be nicer for you like at least on the way up because they leave those seats empty on the way up so that they can pick up more people for the way down so I'm assuming that if you do like a 12 o'clock train ride up wait there for 45 minutes and then come down so it's like later in the afternoon your train ride up is going to be a lot emptier because it's going to pick up hikers so that would be a, a pro tip um, for people doing the cog railroad. So that is what we, uh, ended up doing again. It was so, so fun, but we learned a ton about the history that I want to go over a little bit here. So let's get into the history of Pike's peak in general. So the first people that were documented to be in the area around Pike's peak or to hike Pike's peak were the Ute Indians. They, um, Let's see. So they were the first documented people, but it's likely that there were a lot of natives here up to 12,000 years earlier is what I saw an article say. Um, but in the 1700s, the Ute Indians or the Blue Sky People, as they were called or they called themselves, they named the mountain Sun Mountain Sitting Big or Sun Mountain for short. So that was the first name of it. And they believed that the whole world was created right at that point of Pike's Peak and that the great spirit that they believed in poured ice and snow through a hole in the sky to create the mountain and to create the earth. 
So they likely reached the peak, but technically it's not proven that they actually summited. Um, but they were used to climbing mountains, it seems like. And so, it, you know, it, people think that they more than likely did summit Pikes Peak. In 1779, Juan Bautista de Anza, who was the governor of the province of New Mexico, ended up leading a force of 800 soldiers. And then also with his soldiers, there were a lot of Ute and Apache allies. He led their forces against the Comanches at Manitou Springs in Colorado Springs, right in, um, that's kind of like when, you know, the provinces around here came to Pikes Peak. In 1803, the Louisiana Purchase occurred, so Jefferson bought the land from France, and Pikes Peak was part of the Louisiana Purchase. So, um, in 1805, a guy named James Pursley spent the winter with the Ute Indians in South Park, and he found gold flakes in a stream. So, he was credited with being the first American in Colorado, so America was formed, and um, after the Louisiana Purchase in 1803, he ended up kind of venturing out to Colorado, finding gold, and that is part of kind of what contributed to the gold rush later on um, because of explorers like this. In 1806, Jefferson dispatched explorers to go explore the Louisiana Purchase more. So one of the most famous um, examples of an expedition that came out of this was the Lewis and Clark one and they were trying to find the Northwest Passage. Well, they were not the only explorers that got sent out. Zebulon Pike was also sent out, and he was charged with exploring the southern part of the Purchase. So he traveled from Missouri to the Front Range in about four months and got there to explore. But originally they had thought that their entire expedition would only take six months and that like they'd be back pretty much very soon. So they only prepped for summer weather. So they didn't bring like any winter clothes. They only had summer clothes. So four months in, they thought that they were going to be back in two months. Um, they kind of realized, okay, we're not going to be back in our original six month window. And so they were just really unprepared, but they reached this mountain range. They saw Pike's Peak and they wanted to explore. They had already climbed a smaller peak, a similar one called Mount Rosa, um, in just one day and everything went fine. But when they were trying to climb Pike's Peak, which is at that point, obviously not named Pike's Peak, um, they actually never summited. So Zebulon Pike was the explorer and he wanted to go try to summit the mountain. But since he was in only summer clothes and there was waist deep snow, he got, I think like I think he got like halfway or three quarters of the way and then had to turn back because it was just too much snow and he was not going to be able to get there. So Zebulon Pike, who it's named after, did not ever actually even reach the top of the mountain, which has always just fascinated me why they would name it after him. And I did answer that question later in my notes. So just stay tuned for that because I was like, surely there must be someone else who has summited first and there was that like it would be named after that person not the person who never actually summited. So, um, okay. So the, in 1820, 
uh, was the first recorded ascent. So somebody, Major Steve Long and 22 men were out exploring to find the source of the Platte River. Now, Long wanted to continue that expedition and get home, and he was pretty much ready to go. Um, and, and they found Pikes Peak and they saw Pikes Peak, but Dr. Long, or I don't think he was Dr., you know, Major Stephen Long, um, he didn't want to summit. He didn't want to try to explore that. He was just like, no, let's just get home. We saw the mountain. Let's go. But there was a naturalist, Dr. Edwin James, who wanted to go up and find new plants, flowers, record what was on the mountain. And he eventually convinced Long that um, to basically give him three days to go summit the mountain and he'd be back in three days and then they can go. So um, the major Long finally relented and said, okay, you have three days to get back here and then we're leaving. So he went up, he summited, I think on the second day, like late in the day, went down the mountain a little bit, camped there on the second day, uh, came back down. Well, as he was coming down, and this is a weird thing because this was not mentioned in any of the articles that I had read before. It was only mentioned in one article and it wasn't mentioned on the train ride either. But so as they were coming down on the third day to come back to the camp before they were going to head out, they smelled smoke. And it turned out that their camp the day before had not been put out fully and had caused a full forest fire on like the northern passage or something. So there was like a full forest fire raging because of this guy's campsite. But it wasn't, I guess, that much of a concern. And so they they continued down. They made it back in the three days. I think they just figured like it would naturally just go out at some point. But um, yeah, he caused a fire on his one expedition. But he was the first person or that was the first group to actually summit Pikes Peak. And during that time, during his hike up and down, he collected a lot of samples of plants, flowers. And this is where the like a lot of species were discovered, including the blue columbine flower, which is Colorado's state flower. So, uh, Major Stephen Long, the guy who's leading the full expedition, was very impressed by all of the things that he had collected and things that he had researched. And so he named the mountain James's Peak because of this little excursion that James had taken uh, his men on. Okay, so now it's known as James's Peak. So it's been known as, uh, like, Big Sun, I think. Yes, Sun Mountain. And now it's been known as James Peak. So still not Pikes Peak. But um, in 1840, that is when the name officially changed to Pikes Peak. So this man named John Charles Fremont led the Army's topographical corps and basically they're in charge of the armies like naming of all the mountains and the landmarks and things like that and so he adopted the name pikes peak um and let since he led this topographical core he had a lot of authority and so the official name was adopted to be pikes peak and the reason for this because it is confusing why it wouldn't be named pikes peak even though james really was the one that did all this research on it and summited first is that he believed Pike had the naming rights since he was the first American to discover the existence of the mountain. And so they named that one Pike's Peak, and then they ended up naming a different peak in Colorado, James Peak, to kind of um, 
respect or to commemorate hit James's contributions to the mountain scene. Okay, then in the 1850s and 60s, the gold rush is happening in Colorado, and Pikes Peak became a very important landmark in that gold rush time period. So a lot of people, there's like pictures of people carrying signs to say Pikes Peak or bust because there was supposedly, supposedly a lot of gold in Pikes Peak. And they actually, on the train ride up, you can look out and see this old gold mine and they're actually still mining it today and I guess they get like a million dollars of gold every day out of this landmine still and it was opened way back during the gold rush so it's still pretty profitable it seems like to be in the gold market on Pikes Peak okay in 1858 the first woman um, summited Pikes Peak so a woman named Julia Archibald was the one to do that Julia Archibald Holmes um, as was her married name, but she was born in 1838. Her father was an abolitionist. Her mother was a suffragist. So she was very like girl power, you know, she was very woman power lady. And so her father ended up moving them to the Kansas territory in the hopes of joining other abolitionists who moved there. Um, and they wanted to enter the union as a free state. So it was in the Kansas territory that she met her husband, James Holmes. They got married a year later. And then um, a year later joined a group of gold prospectors who wanted to go to the Rockies. So Julia, James, and then two other men went and tried to summit and they were successful. But it was funny, she wore a short dress. So like all the women had to wear at this time, you know, a dress and bloomers and, you know, all the garb of like 1860s or 1850s um, modest woman's wear but she actually wore a very short dress with the bloomers and it was seen as indecent at the time but she made it up to the top she um you know took in all the views and then she wrote to her mom when she was on the top and said nearly everyone tried to discourage me from attempting it but I believed that I should succeed and now here I am and I feel that I would not have missed this glorious sight for anything at all and I don't actually blame her because that is a very very good view like the top views at Pikes Peak are beautiful I'm gonna be making like a summary YouTube video because like for every podcast I'm trying to make a 10 minute just short video as a summary in case anyone is interested in more short forms but I'm gonna add all of our pictures up there on the top of the mountain to that video because it is really worth seeing the views are really amazing so I totally get it um okay late 1880s a guy named Zalman Simmons was a tourist inventor and he was actually the founder of the Simmons Beauty Rest Mattress Company. So this guy who founded the mattress company visited Pikes Peak just as a tourist, but he was also an inventor of an insulator for telegraph wires that ran to the summit for the army signal station at the top. So he was partly a tourist, but then he partly wanted to check on his invention. He wanted to make sure it was working correctly and all of that. So the way that you would travel at this time up to the top as more of a tourist area, not like a hiking thing, was you would use a mule. So you could bring mules up on the trails, and but it was an arduous journey they described it as, and it was like, it just wasn't, he didn't think it was civilized. He thought tourists should be able to enjoy these views in a more civilized manner. And so when he went to relax in his mineral bath <laughs> at the end of the day, he was talking to his the owner of his hotel that he was staying at, and that 
hotel owner was like, yeah, you should run a train up to the top. Like he had the idea of a train railway going up to the top. So Mr. Simmons thought that this was a very, very good idea. And so the next year he founded the Manitou and Pikes Peak Railway Company in 1989. Now this was in the day of steam engines. And so the first fleet of locomotives were all steam engine locomotives and it didn't go all the way up to the top yet. It only went to the halfway house hotel, which was like this old hotel that would house tourists. It was really, it started as a really small house just as you know, someone built it as their home. Then as more tourists came, they wanted to stay the night. So it kind of expanded and expanded and expanded to be a hotel and then got bigger and bigger throughout the years. So before, like the very first iteration of this only went to the halfway house. It didn't go all the way to the summit. And those three of those original cars are on display at downtown Manitou Springs, which is where the trailhead is located. Um, The Grand Canyon canyon railway and then the broadmoor hotel which i will talk about why it's at the broadmoor hotel um in a little bit here in 1981 there was a church choir from denver that actually summited the train on june 30th 1980 or 1891 this was the first time the railroad had summited it was the second attempt that it was trying to summit this they did not they were not successful in the first attempt um It was a different group that had tried, but a rock slide had prevented them at about 12,000 feet up. So they were really close. They were only 2,000 feet away, but they were not able to actually summit that first try. Okay, then in 1893, a woman named Catherine Lee Bates, who many people have probably heard of, went on a trip to Colorado. She was a professor and a writer, and she summited Pikes Peak, I believe on the train, I think that would make sense. I think she summited on the train and it inspired her to write America the Beautiful. So that poem was a little bit different originally. It it eventually got edited once it was like a more popular song. But the poem first appeared in the Congregationalist, which was like a weekly publication, a weekly journal um, on the 4th of July in 1895. A few months later, it was set to music. It was pretty instantaneously popular, I think. And so a couple months later, it was set to music by Silas G. Pratt. That's where we get the current America the Beautiful tune. Um, and then there were some minor edits to the lyrics once it, once there were more requests like to make it a song and to perform that song at like different functions. There were a few edits, but that's where she wrote America the Beautiful. Okay, in 1900, the Summit House, so like the top house um was upgraded there were now people that could go up there for tourism and it was pretty popular so you could go see a panoramic view at the top of the summit house for 25 cents okay then we get to 1911 and this is where the story is interesting because they told us this story on the railway and i was like kind of horrified because everything had been so happy-go-lucky till then they're like go look to your right this is a great waterfall and our our conductor was doing like dad jokes and stuff and it was all just happy-go-lucky and then he starts telling us this story where he says that yeah so there were these honeymooners that came up from texas and they wanted to see colorado they took their honeymoon to pike's peak and they hiked up the top or they hiked up to the top and then they were heading on their way back down 
And I guess the Cog Railway conductor has said, hey, I think there's weather coming. There's like a blizzard. You should either stay, you, you should delay your exit. You should stay at the hotel or stay at the visitor center for a long time or, you know, just extend your trip so that you're not coming back down in the middle of the blizzard because it can get very dangerous. Well, they were from Texas. They thought that, I guess they thought that he was like pulling their leg because they started laughing and saying, oh, there's a blizzard in August. Yeah, right. There's no way there's a blizzard in August. And they decided to continue on with their journey down to the bottom. Now, our train conductor goes, yeah, um, they froze to death coming down. You know, it's kind of a sad story, but okay, we're telling these like unique little stories that happen. He also talked about a mule that um, carried dynamite to try to do all this construction and the some of the um, dynamite in the, his backpack um, detonated and the mule exploded essentially into, I think it was like 20 pieces and they kind of reassembled him and gave him a proper burial. So like this honeymooner story piggybacked off of the mule story. So I was like, oh wow, we're really going into some morbid stories, but he kind of still told the mule one in a lighthearted way. So then he goes into this honeymoon one. They said that, yes, they actually didn't delay their descent and froze to death. And then he's like, yeah, he, he described in very vivid detail, like, yes, she was found on the next, you know, when they went back up, she was found with her hands covering her head face down in the snow. And he was found face up with his hands covering his face and they were both dead. I was like, geez. Okay. Then he goes, yeah, there's a picture of them in the gift shop on a postcard of them dead. And that's, and he goes, and that's not a joke. I'm dead serious. So I was like, wait, is that actually true? Is he really not joking? Because the entire time he's been making dad jokes about things like this. And there's going to be a card of them in the gift shop. So I thought that was weird. But then I figured, okay, you know, maybe it just means that there was a picture of them on their honeymoon before they died. And then just said like, yeah, they, they died on the mountain. So I was like, okay, whatever, that's fine. But I told my friend, hey, we should go to the gift shop and see if this is actually true. Honestly, it was a terrible picture. Like what they showed was not the honeymooners alive on the mountain before they died saying that they froze to death. It was a picture of them actually dead. Like of the two people that were dead. It showed the lady face down in the snow and the guy face up just dead on a postcard. And it just says frozen to death I think it was August 24th, 1911. And it just shows them dead. And that's a postcard that you can send to people. And then he goes, oh, now here's the ironic part. This is, here's where it gets from, goes from morbid to just ironic. Um, in his pocket, the man had a note that said like a, a wedding gift or wedding card note that said, congratulations on the wedding. Have fun on your honeymoon in Colorado. Just don't freeze to death like as a joke, someone wrote, don't freeze to death, but then they ended up freezing to death. So, so that was like the light story that we got as we were going up the mountain, almost to the top. And I was like, why are you telling me this? I would rather have not known, but it is in the gift shop. I felt completely wrong to buy it. I didn't want to buy it. So I just took a picture of it and I will also post that, but I thought it was terrible. 
Um, okay, 1925 to 1965, a guy named Spencer Penrose is the who's the owner of the Broadmoor Hotel. This is what ties it in why one of the train cars is displayed at the Broadmoor because he acquired the railway um, in 1925. Then there's like this whole progression of the trains. So gas and diesel power trains became um, popular in the late 1930s. Then they wanted a more compact car. So there was one of those that got put into the mix. Um, then number eight, car number eight was the world's first diesel electronic cog locomotive. And numbers nine through 12 were identical copies of that. They were like the backbone of the fleet from the 1940s to the 1965. So in 1950, there were renovations to the Summit House. A second story was added. Things are just getting kind of better and better and easier for tourists to go visit. Um, Pikes Peak, it's coming faster, more efficient, and a better house at the top. Then in 1960, the whole um, goal in the 1960s was to bring the train into the modern age. So a guy from the Swiss Locomotive Works, which is a company that uh, basically made all of the newer trains. So uh, General Electric made the first few cars, but then in the 1960s when they were trying to modernize the trains, they weren't interested in the project. And so they recru- they recruited uh, Swiss Locomotive Works to make their new trains. So they also hired a guy, Martin Frick, into the company. He was from Swiss Locomotive Works, but they brought him over to the railway company. And for the next 30 years, he worked there to bring the train into the modern age. In 1970, tourism grew, cars with 200 people went into rotation, which is part of Martin Frick's um, contributions to the railroad is that he, you know, he made trains with like a more, with more capacity, um, quicker. He just modernized the whole train system. Cars started being able to run up to eight times per day. So there was a lot more money, tourism, and just a lot more popularity with Pikes Peak. So it went on like that for a very, very long time. And after 126 years in operation in 2018, uh, there was a major infrastructure and equipment evaluation and they decided to shut down uh, in the spring of the 2018 season. I guess they just decided to not reopen. It closes down every winter and then reopens in the spring. And the spring of 2018, they decided that they were not gonna reopen because of all these renovations that they wanted to do. Then the renovations were pretty long standing. And then obviously in 2020, the pandemic happened. So a lot of things didn't reopen. Um, But this year is the first year back opening after three years not in operation, which obviously is the longest that it's not been in operation. And so they've redone everything. Like I said, there's a new visitor center. There's like the trains are new. The station looks amazing. It looks like Santa's workshop going in. It just all looks very modern and very complex. Very not complex. That was not the word I meant. It's modern and it's just, it's very nice. So it all looks brand new. It's great. Um, So that is the history of the train. That's the history of America the Beautiful was written on Pikes Peak and because of Pikes Peak. So there is your fact of the day. Um, Okay, well, that's all that I have for today. Again, highly recommend Pikes Peak. And if you're a hiker, it seems fun. But if you're not a hiker, the Cog Railway is really the way to go. I I would recommend that over hiking 
any day. So that's all for now. I will see you on Thursday for our Bible episode, and I hope you learned a ton today. Have a great one, everyone. Bye.